Um, it was so good to get to pray together today uh, as a family, as a family of Christ, as a family of believers. It reminded me of a story my mom likes to tell when I was a kid. Um, we had a family friend that was in some troubles, and uh, we would pray every night with my mom, and I have a sister that's a year younger than me. And so I was kneeling down and praying out loud, Lord, please deliver our friend. Please help him in his, in his trials and tribulations. Probably not using those words, but, you know, along those lines. And my sister's listening to me, and so she comes up behind me and says, Lord, don't save him. Lord, don't help him, right? And I think about family... And that's kind of the picture that we have, right, that uh, we're, we're all trying to do something good, and yet somehow along the way, uh, we have this rub, and uh, we have this conflict. And so it's funny. I mean, we were kids. We didn't know any better. Uh, but it, it makes me think of family. Growing up, for me, um, I had a single-parent home, and a lot of my family is in Honduras. And so uh, for me, family was really found in church. For me, family was all the brothers and sisters I had my age and older than me at the church. And it was such a valuable thing for my life early on. And then here later on in life, it's proven to be uh, vital for my journey in Christ. And so today, I believe that God is going to tell us something a little bit deeper about family that maybe we just haven't seen or understood yet. And so I'm not preaching to any problems today. I'm, I'm just saying there's something deeper God has for each of us in the context of a faithful family. And my prayer is that we would discover that together as we go through this text and that we would leave here today more encouraged and more challenged to really love each other well um, and to work for the kingdom together as a family in Christ. And so let us get into the text. Um, so John here begins and tells us, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And very from the get-go, we see, he uses the word see, for us to pay attention that this is something very important. And he says, the kind of love the Father has given. This is a gift. When we receive gifts, we normally receive them with gratitude, not with grumbling, right? If, um, if I was to give you a tent, you would probably say, oh, man, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And maybe you'd use it, you know, if you go camping, if you like to go camping. But if you don't, you'd probably just store it somewhere or sell it and never use it again. But if I was to give you a million-dollar house, things would be a little different, right? If I was to give you the keys to a million-dollar house today, you would probably have a lot of gratitude. You would probably look at me and say, bro, I don't know what I did to deserve this, but thank you, right? Because in that house, you would get to create beautiful memories with your family. You would get to host. There are so many things you would get to do with that house. And because you know the value of the house, you wouldn't think to ask me, bro, but is it a two-garage or a three-garage house? Because if it's a two-garage, I, I don't want it. Right? You wouldn't think to ask me those questions because you know the value is so big that you would sell your house and you would move in. And we wouldn't be thinking of things like upkeep, like yard work, like taxes. Right? We would figure out a way to live in that house because it's so valuable. But many of us, I feel like at times, treat our family in Christ like a tent. We pick it up when we feel like it. We pick it up on Sundays. We pick it up when it's convenient. We pick it up when we feel like we need to use it. And we don't treat it like this million-dollar house that God has for us, where he's telling us, sell everything you have, move in. This is something greater, something more valuable than anything you could ever have. And that's our call today, because in this million-dollar house, it will take some work. It will take some sacrifice. It will take some of your finances. It will take some of your efforts to upkeep it and to live in it for a long time. And that's what happens when we come to the family of Christ. 
It's not that we get to come in and out as we choose, but when we begin to see the value of family, then we're all in. We leave our old way behind of isolation, of being alone, of, being, of pushing people away, and we move into this dwelling place of God. And that is what he is calling us to. And so we see that the Father has given to us this beautiful gift. And we have to begin by understanding that it is a very valuable gift. It is a very valuable gift. For you see, if we don't treat it as valuable, then we are not understanding what the gift is that God has given us in family. And this is the beautiful gift that he's given us in family, is that we would get to experience the love of Christ in our family of Christ. Last week, we heard that we are called to be a gospel-centered family. One of the things that Lance said last week that I really enjoyed is that when we are truly gospel-centered, we lose our fear to be with one another. We lose and put down our walls, and we are simply a body that's united and that's together, and the gospel frees us up to this. And so what we find in today's text is that ultimately this love that comes from the Father is given to us in family, and love is the basis for our family our faithful family. Love is the basis for our faithful family. The gospel tells us that John 3.16, that God saved sinners, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He so loved us that when we didn't deserve it, he sent his son to earth to die for us. At the very beginning of John, he says that for those who believed, he gave the right to be called children of God. And so we have this beautiful gift that comes from heaven in love, in the person of Christ, through his work on the cross, through his life, death, and resurrection. And now us that get to believe in him have the beautiful gift of life and of love. And we are called children of God, and therefore we're called a family of God. And this is the valuable gift that he gives us. It's not that just we would have salvation with him but that we would get to experience love with one another, the love that he sent from heaven to earth, we get to experience with each other. And so John says, we are called children of God, and so we are. We literally just sang this, right? I am a child of God. Yes, I am. This is not optional. This is our identity. This is who you and I are when we come to faith, is we are a family in Christ. We are a faithful family to one another. And so the call is not optional. It's not, hey, so, you know, you came to faith. If you feel like it, be family, you know? For those of you that you kind of don't get along with these people, then it's okay. Just kind of stay away. No. He says, so we are. That's the reason we pray our Father. When the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? He didn't say pray to your God and say, my Father. He says, our Father. And that's our context is that we are family. We are united in this love that the Father has given us through the gospel in Christ so that we may love one another. And so the value that this family has is that it is based on the love of Christ. But when we don't see it as a gift, we treat it as optional. We grumble about it. When we don't see it as a gift and we don't see its value, it's easy for, our, to, for us to remove ourselves from the family that God has given us. And when we don't see that this is where we experience God's love, then it's easy to become isolated and miss the deeper things God has for us. John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, and it's this, that you love one another, Right? This is his command to us, is that we would love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. And so the call here is that 
God loved us so much that he gave us his son. That's the love we have. And now we're called to love one another with that same kind of love. And by the way, we love each other. Those outside of here will know we are his disciples. But when instead of gratitude, we grumble and we fight and we divide. And, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this toward the end. But when we make that the precedence for our family, then people can't see Christ. People cannot see his love in us. And we don't get to experience the deeper things God has for us. You've probably heard this before. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love endures all. Where have you heard that? Weddings, right? It's a beautiful passage. You probably had that uh, prayed and read over you at your wedding. And do you know the context of that, the chapter before, what it's talking about? It's talking about the body of Christ. It's talking about many members, one body. The context of the verse that is sometimes prayed and spoken over marriages is actually a verse that's spoken about the way we are to love the body of Christ. And so the way you are committed to your husband, the way you love your wife, the way you are unconditionally bound to that person, that's the kind of love we are to have for one another. And that is the kind of love that a world looking in will say, that's different. These people are committed to one another. These people are not going to back away from each other just because there's a little rub, just because there's a little disagreement. These people stick with each other. These are the kind of people that I want to be around. I have some friends that hear about the way I do life with you guys. And literally, non-believers telling me, I wish I had the type of community you have. And it's not that I brag on you guys. It's simply that I share the way I do life with you guys, the way we encourage and challenge one another unto greater things of the gospel, of work, of tangible redemption, of living in ways that glorify our Father and in so doing, help us carry out our mission as a church. And so this is the love that we will show the world when we truly understand that it is a valuable gift. It is a gift from heaven. It is a gift from our Father. And so we're called to love one another. John continues and says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him, beloved. This word for beloved is esteemed. It's dear. It's favorite is worthy of love. Can you imagine if we addressed each other that way all the time, especially when we get on each other's nerves? My favorite. Not because you have my nerves, because I love you in the love of Christ, right? Especially when we don't agree, beloved, that that would be our posture for one another here in the church. That is what a world that is so divided would find radically different. That is what a world that is so divided and they get behind causes and come together for, to champion different causes and try to find unity in that. When they look into us and the way we love each other, I pray that they would see a people that unconditionally, the word is for agape, unconditionally love each other that no matter what, we have each other's backs. And I want you to look at the person next to you and say, brother, sister, I have your back. I have your back. I have your back. I got your back. And, I, and my prayer is that something like that, as simple as that, would be our posture as we journey together, that we look across this room and that we would know we have each other's backs no matter what. Yeah, we're going to have some rub and some disagreement. And yes, there will be some things that maybe we don't see eye to eye. That's okay. We have each other's back because we are grounded and rooted in the love of Christ. That is the basis for our faithful family. And that's the reason we get to do life the way we're doing it. And so we have to know 
God to know the family. Ultimately, he says, the world doesn't know us because they did not know him. And if you know God, and if you have come to faith to God, and you know this love, then you cannot withhold this love. And this is the thing for me, is that when we don't value or press into the family, it is less a reflection of the family that we're around and more a reflection of our proximity to God. Let me say that again. When we don't press into family because, well, they didn't say hi to me this Sunday. Well, they don't do neighborhood group the way I think they should do it. Well, they, and we have all these preferential things we place on top of the way we relate to family. That is more a reflection of our proximity to God than the actual family God has placed us in. And so I just pray that we would be people that could see beyond that and say, you know what? I come with the lens, but I am willing to see beyond that because I'm growing closer to God. This life of a Christian was never meant to be lived alone. It's never meant to be between you and God in your intimacy and your quiet place. It's meant to be among other people. For when we come here, he says, one day we'll see him as he is. And you know one of the beautiful things that we find in community is we have a deeper relationship and we find a deeper understanding of Christ. You want to be gentle, you want to be humble. Those are things that you don't discover by yourself being alone, right? Like, well, I'm by myself. Man, I'm such a gentle guy. I don't realize that till I come here and all of a sudden, my wife tells me, you need to be very careful how you speak to me, right? I just got married a couple of months ago and I've told you guys this story, but um, I got home the second week and she had been laboring at, in the kitchen and made us dinner and I showed up and very gently, uh, I walk in, and she, uh, she looks at me. She says, hey, I made dinner. She's very excited to sit at the table. And I looked at the food, and I said, that doesn't look healthy. I don't think I'm going to eat that tonight. And learn very quickly what not to say to your wife. I'm learning the hard way, fam. So um, I'm grateful for her love for me, right? But I wouldn't know that's not gentle unless I relate with her, unless I have a relationship with her. And so we find these deeper understandings of who Jesus is when we relate with one another. And that only happens in the context of relating to one another. So we cannot escape this. It's not optional. In fact, if you really want to know Jesus more, then do life together with the people God's placed you with. And that's where we will see more of Jesus. That is where we see more of his love. That is where we'll get to exercise our spiritual gift. That is where we'll get to see if the fruit of the Spirit is in us or not. Because outside of this, we think higher of ourselves than we actually are. But in this, we are made more in his image every day. And that's such a beautiful thing that you would get to sharpen me and I would get to sharpen you and we together would get to point to Christ and his love and that those would be the things that would stir our affections for Jesus and for one another. We cannot love God and not love the family. We have to love God and love the family the way he has loved us. But there is one thing that family is not the end goal of family. You know, growing up, I don't know that I ever had an idea of the reason my family existed. I didn't grow up thinking there's a purpose for my family. And yet, faithful family is not the end goal. We have a purpose. So I'd like for you to turn with me to Philippians 1, 27 through 30. And this is Paul writing, and he says this, only let your manner of life 
be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Right? He is saying, this is the way you are to live. This is not optional because this is our identity. This is our manner of life, our daily living. Let it be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see and see you are absent, I hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not finding anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and I hear that I still have. So he says, this is your lifestyle because this is your identity. This is the manner in which you are to live your life. This is the way you live out the gospel in your life. And he says, of one spirit, of one mind. There is unity in the body when we come around the gospel. And so we know the basis of family is love. But now Paul is telling us, hey, but the end of that is not just unity. He says, so that you may stand firm, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I want to show you what this means. And so I have uh, my brother and my sister here today that are going to come up and help me. You guys can come up now. And I want to show you guys a little bit of what this looks like. Because I feel like this is going to help us just have a little visual representation of what Paul is calling us to do. Allie, you can stand over here. So you guys probably see the resemblance, right? <laughs> Especially over here. <laughs> So Paul says, hey, striving side by side. It's okay, guys. I'm not going to invite you. I can come in. This is the vision that Paul gives us of striving side by side for the gospel. Faithful family has a purpose and is the gospel work. And he calls us to stand side by side. Why? Because there's something very beautiful that happens when we stand side by side. You see, we're all facing in one direction. We all have a gospel purpose. We're all looking ahead. And so we're working and laboring together. We're looking ahead of us. And this is the beautiful part of doing life with family is that there is a purpose greater than ourselves, greater than my comfort, greater than my own joy. There is gospel work ahead of us for us to do. And so we begin to journey and walk together. And what happens? If Eddie begins to kind of drift, hey, bro, where are you going? Come here. You know? If Eddie begins to get a little weak, I probably have to lift some more weights to pick him up. But <laughs> I'll figure out a way to pick him up because he's my brother. And so I will not let him drift away, and I will not let my sister Allie drift away. And one of the beautiful things that we see in this is that as we are doing gospel and kingdom work, we've been called to change the world, but we cannot do that by ourselves. We need this unity in the body. And as we continue to grow this out and out and out, this is how we overtake the world. This is how we share the gospel. This is how we impact the world, is linking arms, being together, and working toward the gospel together. But what happens? We're in the flesh. And at times, we forget that we should be facing forward. And we begin to look at each other. And I'm like, hmm, I wish I was this tall. I wish I had her sandals. And I begin to compare myself. <laughs> I'm kidding about that. <laughs> it's for analogy purposes. <laughs> I begin to compare myself to my brothers and my sisters, right? And I begin to think, well, what does she have that I wish I had? What does he have that I wish I had? And so I begin to compare myself. And then I'm not content. That's not enough. Now I'm like, I've never noticed Eddie's nostril hairs are so long. <laughs> they're not. They're not. They're not long. Yeah. Right? I, I never noticed Allie's hair. Color's kind of funny. And, and I begin. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's beautiful. 
And I began to critique and criticize and find all the flaws in my brother and sister that are not enough to make me happy. And I lose sight of what's ahead of us because I'm so focused on these things. And then what happens? I begin to say, I really don't want to stand next to him or her. And so I begin to push myself away and I become isolated and I go in a different direction. And what have I just done? I left a gap in the church where I'm supposed to be standing, carrying the gospel call out with my brothers and sisters. I've left a gap. I've allowed opportunity for the enemy to come in and create division among the church Now the enemy is triumphing over the church. And many of us do this because our preferences, our comforts, our desires, not bad things, when they become primary, cause this in the church. And so I pray that we would be men and women that could look beyond ourselves and our comforts and our preferences because then I start to become isolated. I begin to remove myself. I begin to push away. I don't want to be around these people. I don't want to be around Ali and Eddie because of this, this, and that. And I forget that this is a beautiful gift of God, and my call is not to be out here on my own by myself. Well, Lord, you'll teach me your ways. I'll walk with you by myself. But my call is to be over here with my brother and my sister, linked arms, walking side by side no matter what. I got your back. You got my back. We're going to do this. We're going to persevere for the sake of the gospel. We're going to do the gospel where God's called us to. And if you're slowing down, my brother, I'll help pick you up. And if I'm weak, you guys will help pick me up. And this is the beautiful picture that Paul gives us of laboring side by side for the gospel. Thank you, guys. Our call is to link arms. It's not to remove ourselves. It's not to remove ourselves for the sake of our preference, for the sake of the things that matter most. You really want to know if you value this family? How are you spending your time? How are you spending your money? What are you pursuing in life? Not bad things, but if they become the thing that you pursue, then you lose sight of where God's placed you in this line of the gospel um, army, of the gospel family. Like, you lose sight of this. And along this journey, this is the beautiful thing that happens, is that we begin to know one another. We begin to see tendencies. And so, yes, there are times where we look at each other and say, bro, you got a little dust on you. Let me help clean that up. That happens. It's not a critique. It's more of a let's help ourselves look more like Jesus along the way. And as we journey together, again, if we had this huge, huge line of all of us standing here together to move, it would take a little effort. Many of us want things to happen really fast, but this takes time. It takes, takes engagement. It takes commitment. It takes us being fully committed to the call God has given us. It takes our time and our finances and our resources. It takes all this. When I was in India a few years ago, I was humbled at the way my brothers, my, my brothers over there treated me. They don't have much. They had just been through the persecution. And these guys would give me their best food. They would give me the protein that they only eat once a week. That's what they would put on my plate to eat. They would offer me their best. And at times, I think that we don't treat each other that way. That's not the kind of love we have. We're an afterthought. If I have some time left over, maybe I'll do life with you. If I have some money left over, then maybe I'll help out a little bit. And we don't value it, so we don't prioritize it. But God's calling us to prioritize this, and it's going to mean some sacrifice. And as I'm walking and I'm seeing some deficiencies in my brothers and my sisters, oh, it looks like you need some gospel boots. Let's get you some gospel boots so that we can keep continuing with the gospel work. 
That's the beautiful part about our family is that uh, the purpose of our faithful family is not just our well-being. It's not just us being happy and being, you know, just fat on community. It's that we would actually labor. They would actually work toward advancing the gospel. And this is the true love that the world's longing to see. This is how we are world changers, is by linking arms. I can't do this by myself. The elders here can't do them by themselves. The leaders at the Grove cannot do them by themselves. It is by linking arms, moving forward, seeing that you have a very valuable place in the family. Each of you have a very valuable place in the family, and when you remove yourself from this, you create gaps that now need to be filled, that you are called to fill, that God has equipped you to fill, to build and edify the body. So my brother and my sister, we have each other's backs. Let's also link arms. And finally, Paul knows we're human. Paul knows we have flesh in us. Paul knows we have these things in us that are just sometimes not the best. And so just for a very practical thing at the end, I was thinking, what can I give us for this daily living? And, and it's quite simple. I'm just going to give you a chapter to read as your takeaway. John 11, we find a story of a lawyer that comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what's, what's, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, do this, and you will live. One of the beautiful things that we experience as we journey together, as we labor for the gospel, as we love one another, as we continue to press forward, one of the beautiful things that we discover is eternal life his growth, his maturity, is looking more like Jesus every day because we're carrying out his mission. But along the way of loving God and loving others, we do this very imperfectly. We tend to fall. We tend to become selfish. We tend to go inward. When the cost to be beyond ourselves, when the cost to sacrifice and suffer for one another, right? Paul says, for this reason, you've been granted faith in the gospel and suffering. Like This is the gift for us, not just faith, but that we would suffer for one another. That's if you are struggling with somebody in the family, if you are suffering with somebody in the family, if you are crying with someone in the family, if you are rejoicing with somebody in the family, congratulations. We're living out the call. We're loving each other. We're suffering for each other. And this is one of the unique experiences we get to, we get to share with our brothers across the world in suffering, not in abundance, but in suffering. This is not going to be optional again. We will suffer for one another, but when we do, what a beautiful picture of the way Christ suffered for us, that he went to the cross for you and me when we didn't deserve it. And so we get to do that for each other. And so let's end on Ephesians 4. I just want to read this over you guys and break it down a little bit. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 first. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This is your calling. This is not, again, not optional. You are a Christian. This is what you have been called to do, to link arms, to endure for the faith. And he says, I, I urge you, right, to walk in a manner worthy. Are you walking in a manner worthy of your calling? Or are you looking more at yourself and your preferences and your comforts and the things that suburb, the suburbs tell us we should value? He says, I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And this, this is kind of the, the lens that we should look our lives through, all right? And this is where I've had to start every day with all humility and gentleness, all right? Well, I've already failed at that, so thank you for grace and mercy, Lord. 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. We start with love. We end with love. We cannot do this without the love of Christ, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so when we have this rub and we have this, these disagreements and we don't think it should be done this way, he says, with eagerness, pursue the unity. With eagerness, pursue peace. Is that evident in the way we relate to one another, that we eagerly, especially when things aren't going our way, especially when things aren't going the way we think they should go, that instead of removing ourselves, pursuing other things, that we would say, you know what, I'm going to eagerly pursue unity and peace in the body. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of you according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so there is this repetitive oneness that we should be and oneness that we are growing into daily as we journey together. And this is a gift of grace. This is a gift of love. This is a gift from the gospel. This is a gift from Christ to you that we would pursue this. So skip down to verse 25. And this is where the more practical I cannot get than this, I just want to read this over us. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for, for, for we are members of one another. Get that. I'm a member of you and you're a member of me. We're united. The love that we preach about at weddings is the kind of love we're supposed to have to, for one another. And so you're not going anywhere because I love you too much to let you go. And you're not going to let me fall because you love me too much to watch me fall. And so he says, speak the truth to one another, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. It's going to happen. We're going to get upset with each other. But don't let that be reason to sin. Don't let that be reason to cause division in the church. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Remember, when we step out, we've just allowed the enemy to create a gap in our family. Don't let the enemy do that. Instead, let's speak the truth. Hey, bro, did you mean to say that? Hey, sis, why did you, why did you react that way? And speaking the truth in love, we will begin to look more like Jesus and not give opportunity to the enemy to divide us. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Maybe you're sitting here and you're telling me, you're, bro, I'm not a thief. I don't steal anything. The only thing I've stolen is my husband's heart. You know, Maybe that's, nah, that's corny joke. Um, so maybe you don't feel like you're a thief. Maybe you don't feel like you're stealing anything. But sometimes we treat the bride of Christ, we treat the family in Christ like they're here to make us happy. And so we come in to take. We don't consciously do this, but we're so wounded sometimes. We're so needy sometimes. We're so immature sometimes that we come in and we just, we're trying to figure out what we can take and I need to feel better. You know, I got to love others like I love myself. And, and we have this narrative of I got to love myself first so I can love other people. And we forget the end goal of loving yourself is that you will love others well. And so maybe you're coming here and you're thinking, I, I need this. And yes, there's seasons where we need to receive, where we need to be made whole and we need to have family come around us and build us up and edify us. But if that's the only way we think of church, consumerism, of being consumerist, then we're stealing from the body. We're stealing from what God has called us to. And he says, instead of stealing, let you work with your own hands that you may have something to give to those who are near you. 
And so there's this beautiful call for each of us to continue in maturing as disciples, to continue to grow, that you and I may have something to give those around us. Instead of just coming in to take, that would be people that could come in, work, mature, work toward the gospel and the kingdom, grow the kingdom, and in the process, have something to give those around us. Let no corrupting, no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And this is the beautiful part at the end of all this, is that if we live this out, if we live out of our identity as a family, if we live in the love of Christ toward one another, guess what? We reflect his image to one another and to a world that desperately needs to see that. And my prayer and my hope is that we would be a body, that we would be a family, that would be faithful, full of faith in Christ, faithful, committed to one another, and that we would truly see each other as brothers and sisters. So this week, who do you need to link arms with? This week, who do you need to tell, hey, I have your back. I'm not happy, but I have your back. Let's work through this. This week, who, what gospel work do you need to do that you need to grab a couple of brothers and sisters? Maybe it's inviting your neighbor over for dinner. Hey, go invite your neighbor in. Maybe you need some help. Call your other brother to come in and help you cook dinner or clean the house. Like These are the kind of things that seem so silly at times, and yet they're so practical in the way we can use them to live out our calling to pursue the gospel. And we'll begin to hear stories like we've heard of people hanging out with the family of Christ and saying, hey, 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 I don't want you to to you know, shove religion down my throat, but I still want to hang around you. Can you imagine if our neighbors all began to say that to everyone in this room two years from now, four years from now, this room would be a lot bigger, not because we're so strategic and so cool and so good, but because they see the love of God in each of us and they want to experience that love. My hope and my prayer is that when we share the gospel, that we would not only say, man, God is so good, you need to find more of God, but that we would also be able to say, God is so good, we want you to experience the love of God, and I also want you to experience the love that I experienced with my family in Christ. And that's what drives me to gospel work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so humbled that you would call us children of God. That is a title that is so big. The Son of God came to earth, and you would call us sons and daughters, that Jesus is our brother. Father God, let us see the value in family. Let us understand the love there is in this family that comes from God the Father through Christ to the church. Let us be people that have each other's back. Let us be people that link arms together. Let us be people that pursue gospel work, that know that the end goal of our lives here is so much greater than our comforts in the suburbs. It's truly to grow the kingdom of God, and that's because our identity is sons and daughters of the Most High. Let us live in light of that truth and that reality. Let us be transformed in the way we treat each other. Let us be people that offer our best to each other, not an afterthought, but our best to each other, and in so doing, reveal the love of Christ to each other and to a world that desperately needs it. Father God, we love you so much. We're so humbled that you would bring us to this family. Let us love each other the way you have loved us. Let us be image bearers of that love. And Father God, I just pray that you would grant us 
mercy, and grace to carry out the call, to be a faithful family that loves you, loves one another, that glorifies you in the way we love each other and the way we work together. Let us be united. Let us give the enemy no opportunity for division. Let us build one another up into your image. And let us be reminded that this is a beautiful gift from you. We're grateful for it. In your name we pray. Amen.